0: Opinions expressed on ACB media are those of the respective program contributors and do
1: not necessarily reflect the views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff.
0: This is Sunday Edition with Anthony, a news magazine show featuring human interest in the spotlight, movers and shakers, and the news and happening that affects all of us in and out of the ACB community. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Sunday edition with Anthony Corona. And um, ah, man, I'm going to hate to see those horns go, but it's time for me to update my intro and outro. So next week or possibly the following week, you'll hear a whole new opening. But I digress, as I usually do. We have got a great show today. We are unpacking the imperatives. It is the third and final show of the Leadership ACB Media Training I want to send a huge, huge shout out to my fellow co-hosts, Terry Pacheco from Visibilities and Paul Edwards from Tuesday Topics. In a couple of days, um, you'll see a condensed version of all three of these shows with the most pertinent information in podcast form. So that way, you can dive in and be completely ready for leadership training, uh, for leadership week. I know that Clark and Swatha and a few others will be holding some community calls over the next two weeks as well. We'll get into that in a few minutes. Um, I feel like I have been running around like a chicken with maybe not the head cut off, but it it dangling from side to side Um, (laughs) between um, working for my great state of Florida for leadership, helping to plan and set up the three trainings we've been doing a lot with my other affiliate blank pride international and partnering up um this coming weekend both on saturday for a final listening session of five days for george floyd say his name um we'll be doing that at two o'clock on saturday and then um there will be a trivia night that we are partnering with mcac and um and, um, oh, Lord, someone else. But that is at 6 o'clock next Saturday. It should be very interesting, and we should learn a lot. And then again on this program next Sunday, Sandra Sermons and a few others will be helping us celebrate Black history. So it's been really, really busy. Not to mention, um, folks, if you are part of the planning of your affiliate or your state, all of our convention time slots are due to... On Tuesday. So look for a very special program at National Convention where Sunday edition, yes, folks, this show will be partnering with GDUI for something really fun and exciting. So uh, look forward to that. I think that is all of the announcements that I have, but um, my friend and president of Blind LGBT Pride uh, is here. Gabriel, you have something exciting to announce for us as well, right?
2: Yes, sir. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Um, and uh, I know this uh, Sunday edition is all about leadership and the imperatives. So I'm happy to announce that uh, we have been working with uh, President Dan Spoon, um, Cheryl Cummings, and uh, other members of the Multicultural Affairs Committee, and the Hispanic Subcommittee. Um, and uh, we're happy to announce that this leadership meeting, uh, we will be having a Spanish presence. We're still sor- sorting out the details, but uh, there will be a uh, certain level of um, information in Spanish that will be put out there and also um, daily Uh, Spanish uh, content. Um, Stay tuned. (laughs) I don't want to say more uh, because we're still ironing out the details, but we'll definitely for the first time um, have a Spanish speaking presence or a presence in a major ACB event targeted to include uh, people who are blind and visually impaired and who speak Spanish as their main language. So stay tuned and watch out for the announcements, and we'll be putting out all the info out there.
0: All right, that sounds really exciting. And if, if folks have any um, any ideas or, or comments or program ideas for the MCAC subcommittee, where should they send it?
2: Um, they should send it to uh, MCAC- Um, I'm sorry I do not know I don't know if Cheryl is okay I don't I do not know it I'm I'm fairly new to the committee and I still don't know the but if you go on the ACB website uh, all the information the contact information is there under uh, committees and task forces. All right well
0: thank you for joining us I'm not trying to kick out or anything you are more than welcome to stay and listen but we have got to start unpacking these. I know absolutely (laughs) Have fun I'll be listening in all right well i am very pleased to welcome back to sunday edition our governmental affairs team clark and swatha welcome back to sunday edition
3: anthony
0: how are you i'm good i'm good how are you it's been a busy week huh yeah busy week
3: yeah very busy week
0: (laughs) and hello
4: anthony and hello to everyone on acb media
0: Awesome. So let's get right to it. We're going to give a brief overview of the four imperatives and then we'll unpack them one by one from that point forward. So Clark, take it away. Sure. Thank you, Anthony. And again, hello, everyone.
4: And we're excited to be here to uh, share this year's ACB legislative imperatives. Uh, Some of these issues will be, you know, uh, they will not be obscure or strange to our acb members these are long-standing issues that the organization our partners and our members have been trying to tackle for quite some time Um, and some of them have been legislative imperatives in the past so speaking of which one of them comes back from last year and swatha do you want to share about the exercise and fitness for all act
3: yes absolutely so I could have, I could could for all act is a um bill introduced by Senator duckworth and Sen, and representative um young and Solmier in the House and Senate um it would make um dreams that facilities um it would require them to have to have um, a certain number of accessible, accessible um Fitness equipment, fitness equipment, fitness equipment um, and a certain um, and a staff member or staff members of the gym that would be trained in using the equipment and help train to um, assist a blind or vision impaired um, gym member or a, um, a patron. That's yes, the word to say
4: before. That's right. And I know know we've got uh, folks from the ACB Get Up and Get Moving campaign, and we'll uh, have a conversation with them here a bit, a little later in the the program. Uh, But moving on to our second imperative, a a longstanding issue, especially for our members in ACB Diabetics in Action, is how can we get uh, accessible, durable medical equipment and home diagnostics equipment? And there is actually, there's a bill for that. Uh, And that is the Medical Device Non-Visual Accessibility Act. And that is our second imperative. And this is a bill that would require uh, Class 2 and Class 3 medical equipment with digital displays to provide non-visual access for people who are blind and visually impaired. So that bill is uh, only in the House of Representatives right now. It is, however, now a bipartisan bill. Uh, with more than, oh, the last I saw, I, I can say at least 18 co-sponsors. It could have gone up since Friday, nice. um, but it is a it is a bipartisan bill originally introduced by Representative Schakowsky from Illinois. So in Swatha, our third resolution, uh, it's resolution, geez, <laughs> I wish it was <laughs> only a resolution, but there are there are four or five resolutions just this year related to the accessibility of websites and technology. So, Swaka, what's resolu- What's led Ah, geez. Happy Sunday, everyone. What's imperative number three?
3: Yes, yeah, so this one is the um, website app- applications accessibility act. App. So, what this would do is it would direct the um. It would direct Congress to the to urge the Dep- Department of Justice to set out or to establish guidelines, clear guidelines for accessible websites, accessible um mobile mobile applications, and um, internet connected services like kiosks and um, others of that nature. So it would fill gas for whether whether the ADA does not um have yeah, the ADA does not cover so.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And just uh, to clarify, either the uh, I guess there's a an open question of whether the ADA applies to websites or not, depending on the the court jurisdiction that you're in, um, and the the Department of Justice has not used what we think is their standing authority to to promulgate uh, regulations in this space. And I see that Chris Bell has joined us, so he'll be able to. Uh, help us with providing background on this issue as well. And then our final imperative for the year, we for this year, and that is an update to the Communications and Video Accessibility Act. Uh, so we are urging Congress to introduce a Communications Video Accessibility Amendments Act uh, because we shouldn't have to flip around to try to find, you know, I'll use a a timely example of where Yellowstone is audio described and where it is not. Every program should be audio described. Every program should have closed captioning. All video user interfaces uh, should be made accessible so that folks who are blind, low vision, can access the content uh, on the platforms of their choice and just know that it will have audio description. Um, also, we need to complete the FCC's authority to, uh, I guess, complete the rulemaking using existing authority at the FCC for video communications platforms for all people who are disabled. Um, so, good stuff going there. We are uh, working with our partners and the, you know, the the deaf, hard of hearing, and deafblind communities um, to draft legislation in this space. And once that The bill is ready. We urge Congress to uh, not only sponsor, but co-sponsor the legislation and move it forward in both the House and the Senate.
0: So Clark, tell me about the community calls that you have planned um, so folks can get prepared to to join those as well for a deeper dive into the imperatives.
4: Yeah, so we're working with uh, Cindy and Colby Um, I'd say stay tuned for the specific dates and times, uh, but they'll be coming up later this week, likely Thursday this week and um, into next week to have weeknight community events around 7.30 Eastern time. Uh, What would that be? Four o'clock Pacific, one o'clock Hawaiian, and apologies if my math is off for everyone. Um, But (laughs) we will have evening community events to dive into these issues. Um, We'll also put out the individual backgrounders for each of these separate uh, pieces of legislation or policy items uh, so that folks can have them, read them, digest them, and be prepared to ask questions and dive in deeper on these issues during those community events.
0: So Tuesday, Paul and Tuesday Topics covered effective communication, um, and it was a really, really great session. Friday, uh, Terry on, visibil- on visibilities with the um, incomparable Miss Deborah Grub uh, scared, uh, ugh, spoke about how you can schedule your meetings, effective tools and tactics to to get those meetings going. What I thought we would do today is unpack the par- unpack the imperatives in a talking point manner, and then do one or two quick role plays on you know how to effectively get the points across for the imperatives. And like I said earlier, these three shows will be edited down to a two-hour podcast with the most pertinent information and uh, some of the talking points for these imperatives. So when you guys and gals out there see that, um, you will be able to get the information in a streamlined manner. So we're going to start with the first imperative, Exercise for All. And we invited Connie Sims and Leslie Spoon to help us out with it. So first and foremost, you know, what are the opening talking points that we should be using to, to grab attention to, to push this imperative into their minds?
4: Yeah. Thanks, Anthony. And I'll invite uh, Connie and Leslie to share their thoughts as well. Uh, But I think we start with the, the need, right? Why is this so important? And it's important because the, uh, the rates of chronic diseases and comorbid conditions are drastically higher for people who are blind and low vision in our community than they are for the broader population. You know, diabetes being the leading cause of blindness for working-age adults, um, and it depending on the office you're speaking with, you can uh, some offices may find it, um, you know, interesting. Uh, or compelling that diabetes being a condition that disproportionately impacts people of color. Um, So there's a a strong equity concern as well as the rates of disability and rates of chronic diseases affect all people, all socioeconomic backgrounds, and some folks more than others. Um, Also, no one argues that the physical structure, the building itself, of a gym or fitness facility must be accessible but once we are there what's the point of getting in the door if you can't use any of the equipment right so that's i'd say that's a great place to start talk about the need and also in just plain language in simple terms why this matters Um, and why this also why this matters is (laughs) uh, the reasoning why acb has launched our get up and get moving campaign uh, and why Connie and Leslie are here with us today. Isn't that right, Connie? Thanks, Clark.
5: Hey, Clark, it's Leslie.
0: Hi, Leslie. Yeah. Hi.
4: Go ahead, I, Connie. So
0: before Connie speaks, um, quick question is it, is it in our best interest to mention the Get Up and Get Moving campaign and Diabetics in Action when we are presenting these imperatives?
4: I would, with the audience of members of Congress, um, I would say it's not especially necessary to go into the details of the get up and get moving campaign, but I think it is uh, interesting and compelling to mention that our you know our organization has such a focus in this area that we have a get up and get moving campaign focused on the health and wellness of our members, and that this bill Um, and public policy is one aspect of how we're trying to give our members and the broader community the tools and the resources they need to take
0: back their health. Awesome. So Connie, Leslie, welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you, um, Anthony.
5: Thanks for having us.
0: Absolutely. What are some of the talking points that you are going to be armed with for this on the uh, virtual visit? visits?
6: Connie, you want me to go first, or are you gonna go first? Um, I can go first. Okay. You know, um, so I, you know, thank Anthony again and Clark and Swatha. But you know, the I would agree with Clark. You know, we just want to make sure when we do approach um, our Congress people that you know we this is an important topic for um, our members and for our organization you know, and, and getting up and get moving is a huge thing because if, if we're not active and if we're not um, healthy, especially, you know, when you exercise, as Clark stated, you know, you have your diabetes, you have your heart, you know, you have a lot of different conditions, but, you know, with my, with my background, if your muscles Basically, your muscles are your framework of your body. So, when you work out, you have to get your muscles and you have to get your bones and ligaments, everything strengthened. And Leslie's going to well affirm to that. But your your muscles are your framework of your body. So, if your muscles aren't working properly, then the rest of your body is not going to. It's going to affect the rest of your system. So, it could affect your heart, your vascular, your heart, your lungs, pulmonary. So, that's why exercise is so important to get up and get moving and it has to be just even a little bit of um movement increasing the heart rate so it's it's just a a matter of movement leslie you want to go back and
5: yeah sure so so my ask is a little bit different because of my background being a um uh, instructor and a personal trainer that i have been in the settings and connie has also but um each gym I've walked into from teaching and training, nothing has ever been accessible to, to the blind and visually impaired world like Clark was saying. So, so the ask, you know, when, you t- when you're telling your story, I would, I would really emphasize on, on, on their heartstrings and say, just put a blindfold around yourself and walk into a gym and try to get on a treadmill or an elliptical or a bike or take a class. Um, for many years before I got certified, I walked in and people were like, oh, my gosh, what are we going to do with you? You know, so so the th- yeah. thing to really emphasize is we are able bodied people. We want to work out just like anybody else. All of all of these heart disease, lung, diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol is very common in, the, in today's world. Now, everybody has all these things, not just the blind and visually impaired community, but all of us. So we have the right to walk into a gym just like a sighted person and work out and not be like, oh, my God, you're not allowed to be there. Or go to an exercise class, go to a Zumba class, take an aqua class. Um, Mm -hmm. So if you can pull on the heartstrings of of the L.A.s and the um, congresswomen and men and just tell them, how would you like it? Because they work out too. I I, when I was talking about this last year, many of the LAs were saying, "I go to a gym every day before I come to work." And I said, well, mm-hmm. you "Blindfold yourself one day. Walk into that facility and see how see how it is for you." And they said, "Oh my gosh!" One of them was going to take me up on it—a challenge. And if I get to speak to him again this year, I'm going to ask him, "How did your challenge go? Did you challenge yourself? Did you blindfold yourself?" Because Dan and I go to Key West a lot and we walk into that, the first time we walked into that gym, they were like, oh my God, two of you, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And after, after they got to know us, it was like, now when we go down and we go to the gym, they're just like, oh yeah, the treadmills are over there. There's the elliptical, you know, all they have to do, well, I mean, now they have to start us, you know, with the, the treadmill and the ellipticals. So hopefully in the future, they won't have to do that. It'll be accessible and we can just get on and start having our run and our walk and chatting away. So it's not and hard. Just, it's doable.
6: I just and I just want to piggyback if I can before Clark speaks again. But you know, and that's what exercise too. Part of the part of the bill is doing instruction like Cal, like Leslie does. But going into a class, I mean, I will admit earlier, I mean I haven't gone for a long time into like a workout area. I work out at home and the equipment, but you know I used to go to an aerobics class and not being able to always see the instructor and they would say, let's do, you know, this type of move or let's do this move, you know, and if you cannot see that, that's a huge thing. So you need to have an instructor that's going to be able to tell you or demonstrate um, and work with you what those moves are going to be and describe them. And that's a huge part because you know, if you want to be a gr- going into a group setting and exercising, which doing a buddy system, doing mm-hmm. a group setting is so more motivating than being one-on-one,
5: you know, just and, doing yourself. And the other thing I'll say about that, Connie, yeah, that that that's that's so true because they'll just say, go to the right. And I taught my Friday class with a new person in my class and you don't have to have the equipment to come to my happy hour cardio. I also tell people how to dance around. This individual was new to my class on Friday and I said, "Do you understand what I'm saying?" He says, "Absolutely not." So I broke it down for him. It all and and it was a, you know, an easy move, but you know, he's never done it this individual, so I, I had to break it down. Now, if you just go to a gym, they're just going to say, "Do this." So, um it would be awesome to have instructors you know, break the moves down. And that's what we're asking for in this bill. It's not, it's not hard. It's, it's, it's very easy and doable. It just takes a little bit of community.
0: So as we roll this back to Clark, I, I know, you know, statistics and, and, you know, straightforward talking points are always very helpful. Um, you know, I, I was thinking to myself while they were speaking, heart disease is the number one leading cause of death among women. Um, you know, three times over any and all cancers combined. So that's another statistic to throw in there. And imagine, you know, layering on top of it, that, you know, we're blind or low vision, you know, the only avenues of exercise that we have are, are in our own homes. At this point, you know, we go to hotels, we go to gym, not there they're not the only ones we have with but they're the only ones that we have without some form of assistance and we need to level the playing field clark i know you had a few more talking points that you wanted to um talk that you wanted to introduce about this imperative
4: sure and just to build off of what connie and, and leslie said you know leslie talked about where they go in, in key west and how great <laughs> is it that the staff there is so accommodating um to help them but what about all the places that Uh, the gyms are unstaffed? Uh, What about the folks who have or want to use exercise and fitness equipment at home um, and who may not have uh, individuals around who can help them uh, get things started, select the workout they want, or even if you want to know what you are doing mid-workout, you know, having that audible feedback from equipment or being able to navigate that uh, that user interface or a tactile display on your own. Uh, that's really what we're asking for here. We're asking for the same level of uh, independence as everyone else. And to Connie's points about classes and trainings, I think about what a barrier that is for so many of us um, to just walk into that room, a place that is not inviting to us. And uh, the, the need the need and the desire to be able yeah. to work out in that class setting, just like everyone else. And and Anthony also um, point well taken with the, not only for people who are blind and low vision, but the the myriad chronic diseases that are out there, um, certainly yeah. impacting us, certainly impacting people with disabilities disproportionately as we've been uh, isolated in our homes with less, options for transportation Um, you know think about what the the community event has or events and the community environment has meant for so many people and their you know their social well-being their mental health Um, and thank goodness for Leslie's classes because they can have access to those as well Um, so this is this is just a, a great need the need is only going to grow as our population ages as the rates of diabetes are increasing, the rates of obesity are increasing. So this is a, a great need. I saw Ray Campbell on here as well. I know it's something that he's passionate about and something that the, the ACB Health Task Force was working on, you know, 10, 15 years ago also. So we just yeah. we just need to, uh, you know, buckle down here and get, get this thing going.
5: And Clark. So Clark. Clark-
4: Go ahead, Leslie, and then I'll
5: go. So so Clark and Anthony, I just wanted to give a shout out to Clark, because when we were in person in D.C. a couple years ago, I guess in, what was it, 2020 last time?
0: 20, yeah, 2020. So
5: so when we were and we were in the hotel, um, Clark actually spoke with the hotel um, people there. And he actually, because we all love to work out, a lot of us, before we go sit all day long, he actually got with them and they actually marked the machines in Braille for us. But like we're saying, you know, there's, there's not always going to be staff. So there's no staff in those hotel gyms. You know, it's mainly just all, all of us going in together and saying, which one of you has the best low vision to uh, get me started you know, on this treadmill or elliptical? You know, so Clark was so, so gracious to get that done for us when we were all in person again. But like we're saying, it doesn't take much to put all this in. You know, we've had it in our phones now. Our iPhones talk to us. The, the machines could
0: talk to
5: us. The, it's and, not
0: so. and that is the perfect segue to the question I want to ask Clark, because this was the question that was asked at all of the meetings I attended last year. Um, you know, how could they possibly go back and, and fit all of these machines to, to talk to you folks? <laughs> we heard that question in all five of our meetings. So, Clark, yeah.
4: how do you answer that? I'd say, just like Leslie said, the technology exists. And if I can have this technology in my pocket, in the palm of my hand, or if I'm wearing a smartwatch included in my watch, that's a great time to do uh, an assistive technology or an accessibility demo, because chances are they they are wearing the same watch, they may have the same phone, and they've never uh, investigated the accessibility settings. Uh, Not only does the technology exist in uh, most forms of modern communications, but there have been international standards in place since 2013 for audible output from exercise equipment, for tactile user interfaces, for fitness and exercise equipment. And then one more, we know it can be done because it's already been done acb worked with peloton to add the google talkback screen reader to the peloton bike and bike plus in 2020 so it's been done more than a year and a half ago the proof of concept is out there in the market today and every company should be implementing this technology these accessibility solutions to make their products more usable for everyone but especially for people who are blind and low vision
0: and Clark hit on something that's really important. We have, we have the technology right in our pockets. If they ask you that question, pull out your iPhone real quick. Let them listen to voiceover and tell them it's right there in your phone, too. A lot of people think we have special programs installed into our phones to do what we do. You know, people always ask me, what language is that? Because mine is at 90%. Um, and I laugh and I say, oh, it's Swahili. And then I tell them the truth. But, um, you know, pull it out and give them a very, very quick di- di- uh, display of your phone right there and say, it's the same, it's the same technology underneath it all. The programming is the same. We can put this in screens all, on all exercise equipment. So it's not that huge of an ask. So now Leslie and Connie, okay. I am okay. going to put you on the, on the spot. I, and
6: I was just going to say, Anthony, you know, when I, when I do a lot of advocating um, I, that's what I do. I mean, especially with my husband who's you know visually impaired and, or totally blind and hearing impaired. Um, we always pull out the watches or the phone. I have the yep. watch, and he has the phones, and that's how he his main communication is. So we've always that's one of the things that we always show people how important technology is. So show and
5: tell is important.
4: And Anthony, <laughs> so you know, I'm going to put somebody somebody put in the chat. Not everyone uses an iPhone. Uh, some people use Android. It's the concept is the same, right? If you if you have uh, any technology, any especially mainstream technology that has accessibility features built in, demonstrate it, show them. They they are always willing to learn. And even if it's not an iPhone or an Android, it's some other piece of technology. You know, if it's a, a Braille note taker with speech output, demonstrate yep. it. If it. If it's your PC with uh, NVDA, JAWS, or, uh, you know, using Narrator, show them they they'd be happy to to see it and to learn from it and if all else fails just go back to atms you know all atms uh with a headphone jack have audio output that you can yep. enable when you plug headphones into an atm
0: it's nice. just finding that headphone jack but we're yeah. we're digressing to, to a small degree i'm going to ask leslie and connie which of you wants to play the part of an LA and which of you wants to run through a quick how you're going to introduce this bill?
6: I was going to be the LA and and uh Leslie was going to play. Yeah.
0: And Leslie from the great state of Florida has been advocating on the hill for years. So this is a fun treat for you all. And three, two, one, go.
5: Hello. Ms. Hello, Miss Sims. How are you today? I'm I'm Leslie Spinn from the Florida Council of the Blind and the American Council of the Blind.
6: Uh, good afternoon. How are you, Miss Leslie? I'm glad to meet you. How can I help you?
5: Thank you for taking the time to listen to our imperatives today from the American Council of the Blind and the Florida Council of the Blind. Um, we are a grassroots organization um, with 60 state affiliates throughout the throughout the country. So. We have a couple imperatives today. One is near and dear to my heart, which is the Exercise for All Act, which was introduced in the last Congress um, in the Senate and the House. So we're looking to reintroduce, reintroduce this bill again. Um, it's to help people that are, are disabled in all sorts of fashions, blind, low vision, visually impaired with some low vision or um, being in wheelchairs or any other kind of disabilities. Having the right to work out at any facility, or your home, or a hotel, um, it doesn't take much to do it. It we, you could put a a little thing in your um, in the machines that would talk to us to make it accessible to come into a gym and either work out. My my fitness profession, I'm a personal instructor and a personal trainer, so this is my passion. I love it. Um, I've been doing this for at least 25 years, and it's just been a really up, you know, up battle hill because you want everything to be accessible, just like the sighted world to go into a a fitness center and be able to get on a treadmill and access it by yourself without having a staff person to come over and and start the machine. So we're just looking for this bill to come be reintroduced. And, um, you know, maybe you can take it back to your congresswoman and see if she would, um,
6: to sign this bill thanks leslie i i would i would be interested in, in looking at it and i would you know be willing to take it back to my congresswoman and um you know more information you can give me if it was in you know in a email or paper form um so we can actually look and review it that is more helpful for us um but yeah we will consider it
5: Definitely. Thank you. We will definitely send you some um, background information on that. Clark Raffel, our government affairs person from the American Council of the Blind, he can send that to you. And if you have any questions, you can reach out to him or Debbie Grubb from the Florida Council of the Blind or myself.
6: All right. I will do that. I appreciate
5: your time. Thank you so much.
0: That was pretty good. Clark Swatha, is there anything that you would like to add to what they just did?
4: Uh, I guess one question that folks may receive, and I'll ask it to Leslie. Uh, Leslie, is it safe for someone who's blind to use a treadmill or to use exercise equipment? Good
2: job.
5: Yes, it is, Mr. Rockfall. Thank you for asking that question. We can get on a treadmill or an elliptical or a bike just like anybody else. Um, you can hold on to the handles. There, there are some safety belts that can go around your back. And you won't fall off the treadmill. You can walk. You can run. So yes, it's it's just as, as safe as a sighted person getting on these this equipment.
4: And I and I'd say it would be even more safe
0: if we were able to control the equipment ourselves as well.
5: Correct. Yeah.
0: Yeah. All right. I know, Leslie, thank you so much for um, making some time for us today. I don't know how long you can stick around for, but we will open up for questions and comments towards the end of the program. And as always, we'll stay on for a little while after we go off air to answer a few questions. Thank you. Connie, you're going to stick around
6: for a while, all right? I will stick around for a while, yes.
5: And I w- I will too, Anthony. I just want to plug my classes, get up and get moving. Sorry, I have to do it. So. <laughs>
0: Uh, you know what? Well, while I have you here, are you good for um? Are you good for the summer auction, or are you still taking donations?
5: Oh, always, always taking donations. That's my other hat. But yes, always.
0: <laughs> you can find our information on the ACP website as well. All right, and Anthony, Mark.
6: Anthony, I would just sorry. Go ahead. It is... As part of advocacy for the Get Up and Get Moving, I just wanna plug that we really wanna go out and speak at you know all the affiliates conventions or meetings and share um, Get Up and Get Moving's mission and what we wanna do and how we can help each affiliate to be successful in getting up and get moving.
0: Nice, thank you so much for that. Clark Swampa, who is going to introduce imperative number two? Would you like to take this one, Swatha?
3: Sure, I'll do. Yeah. So, this is the Medical Device mm-hmm. Non no Visual Fistboard Act, or the, um, we call it the NDAA.
4: So, mm-hmm. this. Yeah. I'm
7: just in
0: the USA here, you Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hi, we the have some screen. background okay. noise yeah. going on. Yes. If you can mute, please. Mm-hmm.
1: What? $800 deposit.
0: Byron, can you grab that? That was this? the
8: bill pacing. It is squared away now.
9: Yep, let me take care of it. Jane,
0: Jane, I need huh? you to yeah. mute, please, Hon.
9: I got it. I took care of it. There her. we
0: go. Okay, so I'll have to take care <laughs> All right, yeah.
3: So it's the Medical Device navigation Assist- Body So it's HR 4053, introduced by Representative Janice Schakowsky from Illinois. Yeah, and this bill essentially make class two or three medical devices an FDA. Class to the accessible for blind and visually impaired members or um, non members um, users. So, the majority of medical equipment would utilize visual, visual interfaces, 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 interfaces that um, are not accessible for people who can't, for people who are blind or VI. Um, so, with this So we require them to set standards for tactile indicators and audio output for these spaces and for these interfaces. So, yeah.
4: And to thank you, Swatha, and to build off of that, uh, as Swatha said, there is a bill introduced in the House, H.R. 4853, um, and it is now a piece of bipartisan legislation. However, there is not a bill in the Senate So we definitely want to encourage our senators to either sponsor a Senate bill or to support a Senate bill once introduced. Um, And as as Swatha said, this bill, so I guess to back up a little bit previously, we've had multiple resolutions um, and legislative imperatives for accessible, durable medical equipment or DME, um, predominantly to assist uh, our folks in ACB diabetics in action. So continuous glucose monitors, insulin pumps. But this is this issue is broader than durable medical equipment, right? There, doctors now are using um, you know at home diagnostic equipment, uh, remote monitoring tools, and all of those devices, or in, in many cases those devices have digital displays. Um, So as Swath has stated, we want the Food and Drug Administration to consider accessibility of these class two and three medical devices with digital displays when approving uh, and certifying these devices for use. Um, So that would cover our continuous glucose monitors. That would cover insulin pumps. home heart monitors um you know that your doctor might give you for an arrhythmia or tachycardia um and and i think also sleep we monitors.
0: Have... What's that? sleep monitors as well
4: yep sleep monitors uh you know at home uh, chemotherapy units uh, cpaps various equipment like that um again these are digital. Dis- this would not cover at-home COVID test. I was just about to say that and you beat me to it. So an at-home COVID test, uh, not having a, a digital display and also it not, not being, well, yeah, and also not being, uh, you know, something uh, durable or long-lasting. It's a one and done, right? Or at least most of them on the market are. So those mm-hmm. would likely be considered class one um, medical devices.
0: But I'm All sure right. you'll
4: get that question.
0: So we you. definitely will get that question. So, you know, let's let's pull this to a personal story kind of level. What do you um, what do you lead with, Clark? Sure, and I I
4: lead, and I, I don't know if we have any folks from uh, ACB Diabetics in Action who are or with us here today, um, but I lead with the stories uh, that our members have shared about not being able to accurately measure their own blood sugar or the fact that there is no, uh, accessible insulin pump. Um, you know, the, the most effective and efficient way to control one's insulin level and blood sugar levels. There's no accessible insulin pump on the market today. Now, President Dan Spoon has shared a, a great story of his doctor having him wear a heart monitor for, uh, you know, upwards of three weeks. But any time he needed to change the part of the heart monitor that he wore on his body, he needed sighted assistance to make sure that the device was paired and synced with the smartphone that the doctor provided him to connect it to. So being able to, to share stories like that, being able to share stories to make it, um, again, like the uh, exercise and fitness for all, make it real, make it relevant to them um, is, a, is a great way to help drive this story home, especially, again, uh, living in the time of the pandemic where folks are socially distant or socially isolated where transportation barriers exist, not only in urban environments, but suburban and rural environments, where these tools could be even more useful uh, for folks to, again, take back their health and
0: independently and privately manage their health conditions. Absolutely. So we're going to come back to this imperative. Thomas Tobin will be on in a little while, and we'll get a couple more talking points, and we'll do some role-playing with with imperative number two in a few minutes. Let's move on to imperative number three, and I think this is the one where general knowledge, um, our community comes at with the most general knowledge. Wouldn't you say, Clark? Oh, I I think we all certainly Mm -hmm. live this
4: on a daily basis.
0: (laughs) Mm (laughs) So lead us through what the actual imperative is asking for, and then we'll do some talking points. Sure. So and I will
4: be I will be clear with everyone. The imperative right now is in um, it is a live issue that will likely evolve between now and our leadership conference. Um, So a a bit of background here, ACB has been working with the National Federation of the Blind, as well as American Foundation for the Blind, National Disability Rights Network, and uh, the Office of Senator Duckworth to draft legislation that would clearly state that the Department of Justice and Equal Employment Commission need to uh, promulgate enforceable standards for the accessibility of websites, applications, online services. Um, that is, That process has been underway for more than a year now. Um, and that bill has, I'll uh, just to be frank, an uncertain future on if or when it will be introduced. So another aspect of this is that many of us believe that the Department of Justice already has the authority to promulgate uh, regulations for the accessibility of of websites and the internet. And in fact, the Department of Justice began uh, a rulemaking with an advanced notice of proposed rulemaking. Chris Bell was that twenty ten or twenty eleven? I think it was twenty ten. Yeah. And then that rulemaking was not completed, and it was withdrawn by uh, the Trump administration in uh, 2017. So uh, we've all seen the the new stories of the court cases where depending on uh, where you live in the United States and where you have Mm -hmm. a court case filed, the outcome could be very different. Um, So the courts have stated that there is some uncertainty whether the ADA and Title III of the ADA applies to the internet. Um, one of the reasons we were working so diligently on a standalone piece of legislation was to make it clear that the, the internet and online environment must be accessible. Because even if the Department of Justice promulgates regulations yesterday, uh, the court's could still say, no, no, DOJ doesn't have the authority to do that. This isn't covered. And someone, a, uh, a defendant could come along and say, if they didn't like the ruling uh, very well, um, we still don't think that we're covered and that these regulations don't have standing. So we're going to appeal to the Supreme Court. Um, so we could be one court challenge away from the Supreme Court being able to decide whether or not the ADA applies to websites and the internet.
0: So I got a um, question from a listener through the Sunday edition email, which uh, premiered a couple of weeks ago, which is for everybody out there. It is Sunday edition AC at gmail.com. And um, this person would like to know that seeing, seeing that the medical um, equipment and medical offices are now largely through portals Is that a way to, I'm losing my focus. Is that a way to argue the imperative using medical standards and um, online, I guess they they mean online medical visits? That is a really
4: good question. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to ask if, Chris Bell would like to take a shot at that first with his legal knowledge?
7: Sure. Um, well, I think it's going to depend a lot on how the language in the legislation is written. If it's written broad- broadly to include <clears throat> websites and platforms, um, then it seems to me that um, uh, the portal for a medical office uh, would be clearly included. Um Also, um, depending again how the law is written, uh, you have a separate provision in the Affordable Care Act, which is called, well, it's the healthcare non-discrimination provision. And it provides among other things that uh, section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act, which applies to recipients of federal financial assistance that those uh, standards under 504 have to apply to entities uh, and services covered under the Affordable Care Act. So that would be another uh, basis, albeit one that would have to be fleshed out.
4: And to to, to build off of what what Chris just shared, um, there are more recent studies showing uh, the, the barriers of accessibility that people with disabilities, whether people are blind, low vision, deaf or deafblind, face when accessing telehealth. Um, it's around two-thirds. Uh, a, a recent 2022 study uh, found that around 65% of people who are deaf face communication barriers when accessing telehealth services uh, similar to telehealth in the um, the education and distance learning environment, when accessing um, you know classroom materials, platforms, uh, those video interfaces, uh, people who are blind and low vision, uh, roughly twenty twenty five percent have faced barriers to access as well. So, Chris, thank you for that that background with section five. I would would say one
7: other thing too, Clark, Clark, if I may. Um, Sure. It's important that the legislation makes clear that not only must the website and platform be accessible, but the content that is posted Mm -hmm. or displayed on that website or portal has to be accessible. Uh, I've seen many websites that are at least I can access them. And I go to some document, and it's just a photo. Well, you know, <laughs> that's not a. That, the website's accessible, but the information, isn't, and that's that has to be dealt with.
4: Yeah, you know, for me. Then, oh God. Oh, and there, and there are st- other statistics out there. Uh, you know, websites tested ninety-five percent or so from you know, Web Aim and others, saying that of the hundred thousand websites tested, ninety-five or ninety-nine percent had at least. One accessibility barrier, but uh, to Chris's point, I'll argue not all accessibility barriers are created equal, right? Uh, one could be a heading that's not tagged or mislabeled, and the other one could be an inaccessible uh, checkbox to com- uh, to complete a CAPTCHA or a submission button, or your test results in an inaccessible PDF. Um, so that's that's really what we need to get at here is the actual functioning of the websites of the information so that folks can access it and use it um, and have it be accessible and usable
7: to them yeah i would say on an so ongoing basis it's because you g- can have a website that's accessible or a platform that's accessible and then somebody comes along and you know wants to jazz it up and all of a sudden what was accessible isn't so it's an ongoing obligation that we're looking for
0: So to bring this back to some more generic terms, um, I I know for for me, one of the the advocacy pieces that I use is just saying these two things. You know, I love my Bath & Body Works products, and I get notifications all the time only to get to the website, and it's all JPEG-based. It's all picture-based. So I don't know what's 50% off or what's buy three, get one free. And then I I, I I always tell them, imagine you filled out a job application or you're filling out medical information, pre-visit screening, and you get all the way through, you filled out all the fields and you're going to hit that submit button or the next button or continue. And it's telling you something's missing and you're going over and over that page. And you're sitting there for you know minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and you just can't figure it out. And you have to leave it, pause there, and find someone, you know, a family member, a friend, whatever it be, one of our visual interpretation services, to figure out what's that one field that's not, field. That's not marked, and we can't move that's on without it. Chris? Yes. What, what are some generic talking points that we can use for this, since it is a living, it is a living imperative, and it, it may shift between now and Leadership Week itself? What are some generic talking points we should...
7: Well, uh, since most of us will probably be, be having meetings with legislative assistants over Zoom or uh, over uh, some televideo device, um, then the the answer is that uh, the, the very fact that we're doing this is an example of how the internet is critically important and ubiquitous for information. And this is Demonstrated not only by COVID, but by the things that we've had to do with COVID. For example, to sign up for a vaccination, you uh, almost always had to go online and fill out a form and hit a submit button. Um, <clears throat> all kinds of uh, medical applications, as Clark has already talked about, done that way. Also, just financially, as as you said, Anthony, um, you know, think of all the business that. Blind people and visually impaired people could do um, with websites if they were accessible. Um, you know more and more businesses conducted that way.' the hundreds of billions of dollars. And when they're not accessible, uh, businesses are losing our money. And so um, this is a, an important uh, aspect for health, for emergency, and for basic commerce
0: so clark why don't you be our legislative assistant and chris introduce this imperative to to
7: clark sure well hi clark i really appreciate your uh, giving us the time my name is chris bell and i'm with the american council of the blind and the north carolina council of blind we have uh, four legislative imperatives and the one that i want to talk to you about uh, and which is uh, uh makes a lot of sense since we're talking on zoom is uh, the need for legislation that would require all websites and uh, platforms, and also mobile applications to be accessible for people uh, of all disabilities, including particularly people who are blind and visually impaired. And what this legislation should do is to make clear that this is a right and that the government The Department of Justice and the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission should issue regulations that define what accessibility means in a functional way. When I say functional, I mean uh, so that uh, a person uh, can actually read what's on the website, read the headings, read uh, the uh, the controls and be able to use the buttons and make submissions uh, so that the uh, the website, the Internet, is fully accessible uh, to all of us. And that's going to include, by the way, let's talk about the metaverse, which is the hot topic in, in high tech mm-hmm. now. And it also will include um, uh, mobile applications. So, for example, if you want to call an Uber uh, and you have the uh, Uber mobile app, um, the, such a law would require that that app, also be accessible uh, to all of us and that's not only to provide us with necessary transportation like to the doctor etc but it also is good for uber and their drivers
4: Uh, so chris let me stop you right there and thank you so much for sharing that with me here today Uh, so we're sitting here talking on on zoom is this working well for you
7: um Yes, although there's some aspects of Zoom I don't know about, which I but I'm sure they're accessible. Um, but yeah, it's working fine.
4: So if, it, if this is working all right, why, why do we need, uh, you know, why does Congress need to do, have legislation in this space? Uh, does the ADA cover
7: the Internet? The ADA, I believe, covers the Internet, but there is a dispute in the federal courts as to the extent of that coverage. And so uh, to deal with that uh, uncertainty, uh, I think it's important to have clarifying legislation also. Um, although the ADA uh, can be construed to uh, cover the Internet, the regulations that the Department of Justice might issue, for example, probably would not imply to employers. Um, and that leaves a big a big piece out. So those are two reasons why it's important to have separate clarifying legislation that that's very helpful thank you for that i would say that's a pretty great job um
0: <laughs> clark swatha are there any other talking points that you want to introduce on this imperative
3: i think like with what clark mentioned about zoom like yes zoom works for, for us but it's like it's kind of in the mi- minority or like it's kind of it's not the only um platform out there that has accessibility that or it's not, it's not, it's not Platform out there, and a lot of them don't have accessibility features in built in, or they don't, a lot of people don't know, a lot of businesses don't know about them. And so, um I just emphasize that, like, yes, for me, I do, me, platform, but they're not, it's not only, out, only out, out there.
4: That's a, yeah, that's a great point, Swatha. Just because yeah. one platform is accessible, um, it's not the exception that proves the rule, right? Not everything out there is accessible and to Chris's point you know we want to make sure that the platforms and services used by employers used by educators used by healthcare providers that all of them are accessible to for people with disabilities so that we can have the the same level of
0: access and independence as everyone else so Chris Clark and Swatha I'm going to throw a question at you that I think could come up and um it goes a little something like this you know I pick up my my phone all the time and every other day something is being updated all websites and the the levels on the internet are constantly being updated and upgraded and relaunched etc so how how can how can it be possible to make it make it universally accessible when everything is constantly being upgraded up changed etc
7: okay that's a good question anthony yeah. i'm glad you asked it so this has to be built in to the system so just as people with design websites and design uh, work on the internet uh, have certain protocols for uh, how you put things up in a website or a photograph or whatever they need to design into that system a knowledge of <clears throat> the accessibility tools. Uh, these tools exist, but they're not taught and they're not yet incorporated. Uh, they're, they're not taught or, or mandated for the people that are, are learning uh, website design, for example, at uh, colleges and universities. So with this legislation, you will result in building in the knowledge of how to make websites and platforms and mobile applications accessible. It doesn't exist now, but the legislation will enable it to exist.
4: And to Chris's point, uh, you know, the DEI and a diversity, equity, inclusion and accessibility that that a cannot stand for afterthought, right? We need, like Chris said, accessibility to be included from the beginning in the design, development and testing phases of technology, software as well as hardware so that when these upgrades are done, the websites and services remain accessible for people with
0: disabilities. One more, if you know, you use Technology such as your voiceover or your screen readers and and such. Why doesn't that tackle the accessibility issues? Why doesn't that? Why isn't it? Why isn't that enough?
3: Well, not every website or every application is built to interact with the screen reader or voiceover. So um, yes, we developed, developed, developed at first to be accessible with the, with the secondary software or the auxiliary aids. So yeah
7: not every website is all the way so and although there are although there are some uh aspects of assistive technology with some smartphones that will include having a sighted person be able to use the camera on your phone to see your screen um, it still remains difficult uh, if the application isn't accessible it still remains difficult for the person to follow instructions and to use uh, the application if it's not built in to be accessible.
0: All right. Those are two great answers. Um, Clark, Chris, Swantha, anything else you want to highlight about this imperative?
4: Uh, that's it for me. Just a big thank you yeah, to Chris and Swatha. Mm.
0: Yeah. Big, big, thank you. So let's transition back. Um, I heard Tom Tobin come in a few minutes ago. So, Tom, welcome back to Sunday Edition. Um, you were wearing a bunch of hats lately, too, but uh, we asked you to come in to give us some talking points on our second imperative. Clark, do you want to give, um, give a refresher on what we were talking about a few minutes ago?
4: Sure, and I'm going to turn it over to Tom here really quickly because ACB Diabetics in Action uh, actually hosted a community event back in November, encouraging folks uh, to... Uh, have a call to action to support the medical device non-visual accessibility act again <laughs> hr 4853 tom now a bipartisan piece of house
0: legislation Aha! Uh-huh. and that's a good buzzword to use bipartisan <laughs> agreed Go ahead, Tom. Give us the most important, salient—you know—the the the, the points we really need to hit them with.
9: Um. Well, in in order to manage diabetes properly, Anthony, you have to have the tools to do it, right? So, excuse (laughs) me. Um. We. Those of us who are blind and visually impaired and living with diabetes um, do not have ready access to a lot of the tools that are out there. Um, So this bill, a bipartisan bill, thank you, Clark, um, is important because it's going to, from a legislative standpoint, um, compel pharma to integrate universal design into their products so that uh, tier, tier two and tier three products like insulin pumps, glucose meters, um, Continuous glucose monitors and other non diabetes related products like blood pressure monitors and uh, oximeters um, will be made accessible. Anything that has what a visual aspect to it, right, Clark, should be made accessible. And the point I wanted to make is that, um, you know, for those that have diabetes without vision loss, the key is all about controlling your blood sugars and controlling the disease. And if you do that well, keep your blood sugars in a normal range you're less, less, less likely to have complications. However, for somebody like me that's experienced vision loss from my diabetes, it's even more critical because for someone that has had a complication, um, we must be able to get our blood sugars under better control or as tight as control as we can to prevent or, in some cases, delay further complications. Um, a lot of times you'll see that uh, somebody will have I think, I think we all know what we're talking about complications wise, but I'll just go over them. So diabetes can affect your eyes, obviously can affect your heart, can affect your kidneys, uh, can affect your um, circulation. Um, and all these things together are what you, you can keep a better eye on if you have a tighter control of your, of your blood sugars, but it diabetes is a nasty business, Anthony. Um, it, uh, it can affect you in so many ways. And, um, you know, like I said, it's, it's it is an equal opportunity abuse of disease, and it affects everyone differently. Um, so, the rub here is that we have to convince pharma to integrate universal design. Um, and Clark, I don't know if you talked about the three the three legs of our stool, but the the three legs are a legislative solution, which is what HR 4853 is addressing. Uh, We have an advocacy, uh, leg to our stool. That means those of us who are living with diabetes and vision loss and those who aren't frankly, everybody that would be interested in this whole situation needs to be involved in the whole advocacy process. We definitely need to step it up. And Clark mentioned the, uh, the, uh, advocacy primer 101 that Chris Gray did along with, uh, uh, Charles Nabarete, who are both board members of ACB Diabetics in Action and Sheila Styron, who, um. Is very much into this space, um, so I would encourage people to listen to that. It was really, really well done, um, and as I think Clark, you noted, it was uh, we closed it out by doing some role playing, and that's really critical because I think people need to learn that it's it's not as hard as some think. Um, it's actually a lot easier than most people think. So. So that's the rub. I hope that covers it. But we really have to get these devices made accessible so that those of us that have experienced complications from the diabetes can prevent further complications or worse. Um, so,
0: Well, Tom, think- it doesn't quite cover it, and I love you to death, but um, <laughs> Clark mentioned earlier, you know, it's not, and I'm not discounting in any way, shape, or form, but it's not just, it's not just diabetic um, it's as well. You know, we've got chemo that people are bringing home in packs and, and devices. We've got sleep machines, we've got heart monitors. Yes. So can you talk a little bit, um, on how we can present that in a more generic space or let me rephrase that. How do we add to our diabetic conversation? These other tools that, that would be covered by this.
9: That's a really good question, Anthony. And I, I would say that, um, you know, I'm happy to hear the bill is not a bipartisan bill. That's great. But I'd also like to say that, um, you know, and Clark knows a lot more about this than I do. But when we were first pursuing how it would go best about trying to get Medicare and Medicaid other government entities involved in this process, um, their, their, their advice was make it broad. Now we couldn't do everything, but this bill in particular is 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 good because you're right, Anthony. It doesn't just cover people who are blind or visually impaired and diabetic. It covers a lot of other issues um, regarding other types of diseases where, if you don't, you know, have good vision, that uh, you can't use a lot of these devices. So the bill, in my mind, anyway, uh, because it's not just targeting diabetics; it's targeting a broad cross section of other disabilities should have broad appeal, I would think amongst our legislator just because um, it's not so specifically target, targeted and narrow. so uh, you're right. I mean, I didn't mean to say that it was just covering diabetics, but uh, no no,
0: and I didn't mean it that way either, but yes yeah.
9: <laughs> so you know you're right it's uh, it's all about you know um, you know, the broad appeal help yeah broad appeal and helping our legislators and frankly our constituents that's why I referenced earlier that this isn't just a diabetes related issue for those of us that have vision impairment it's a it's a much bigger broader issue that could impact a lot of your listeners that aren't diabetic or visually impaired and so I think that's the point we need you know we need numbers guys we need people to get involved and raise their hands and say you know what this is important to me whether I'm dealing with these particular issues or you know we have a lot of our members in Mm -hmm. ACB Diabetics in Action who are not diabetic themselves, but they either are a caretaker. Yeah. Yeah. Caregiver or they have a family member. So exactly. So it's, um, I don't, I, I don't want to speak for Clark, but I would say the more people we get advocating on behalf of this particular legislation, the better chance we have of getting it moved through the legislative process and hopefully at some point being signed into law. Um, and I, I wanted to finish one thought, too. So we've got the legislative leg of the of the stool. We've got the advocacy leg and the third leg, um, which Chris Bell probably be interested in knowing about is, is the litigation. Uh, of course, that's our last, um, you know, um, you know, course of action. Thank you. course of action. And um, but uh, it's one of the things, you know, personally, why I'm a, I'm, I've am i been a fan of ACB since I lost my vision in the mid 80s, is because it's that is the last resort. <laughs> we don't speak out, we don't pull out the big stick first. We kind of try and do our jobs to educate and follow other avenues to help, um, you know, in this case, our, our people in the pharma space understand why we need these things so that we don't just win the battle, but we can help win the war if we can convince them why this is important to our community.
0: There's one point I haven't heard anyone mention yet that I think might be vital, um, vitally interesting to the LAs to bring back to their members and and possibly senators. Um, And that's population that is aging into low vision, who will also need, they don't need them now, but they're going to need them soon. And when it gets to the point they may not have and most most of them don't have because they don't unfortunately they don't admit that they're aging into vision loss so they don't have systems in place and then they find themselves in almost dangerous situations with some of this equipment right
9: oh it's that it, you can harken back to the whole accessible prescription labeling you know initiative that ACB's been following for years i mean you know people with age related eye disease like macular degeneration glaucoma diabetic retinopathy i mean and seniors who are taking on most are typically taking several different medications. If they mix those up, it could be lethal. And, um, so exactly these, and I was like, I'd like to make the case too. And I don't know if, you know, you guys can tell me whether you think it has any legs, but, um, a lot of the baby boomer generation of which I am one, um, you know, have had access to technologies and have access to all these different things to make their lives easier and uh, more enjoyable. Um, so as you're aging um, in life and you begin to experience, I have a best friend that just started losing his vision for macular degeneration. And he's like, Tom, I, I get it. I get what you're dealing with now. I said, so, you know, I can no longer interact with my phone. Like I used to, I said, well, thank fortunately your phone has voiceover on it now, but anyway, so. Um, I think that this, the baby boomer constituency is not going to stand for not having the tools that they need in this case to deal with whatever, they're trying to do from a non visual standpoint, whether it's diabetes management, um, managing their prescriptions, whatever it might be. Um, and I think, uh, you know, I'd like to make that compelling argument, because I think that um, it's a it's a const- constituency that just is not going to stand for not having the things they need to live their lives as independently as possible. So that's um,
0: actually a great point. And I have one more question before we go into the role play. Um and I'm going to take it from an LA, you know, a legislative assistant standpoint. Um, You know, earlier you showed me how great your phone technology is. Aren't there apps on your phone for all of this? Why do we actually need to make this along?
9: Well, I mean, so let's just take an example. Okay. Anthony, let's talk about the continuous glucose monitoring space, whether you're using Dexcom um, or you're using Libre, which is an Abbott diabetes care product. Um, both of those products come with a handheld reader as part of the, you know, your first prescription. Um, well, of course, the handheld readers are not accessible whatsoever. So if you can't see the screen, um, you can't use it. Um, so for the average person that's blind and visually impaired, uh, that's not gonna work. Um, but the thing we need to keep in mind, which is I, I'm pounding this into the ground as hard as I can, is that those of us, most, a lot of the people in our community, through no fault of their own, don't have access to the smart devices that you need to use some of these uh, durable medical equipment, like continuous glucose monitors and other things. So um, it's not, from my standpoint as president of ACB Diabex, and actually we can't forget about those folks. We can't leave them behind. Um, So pharma pharma needs to come up with a solution or we need to help them come up with a solution that works for everybody. Um, I don't, I I mean, I can't overstate that enough, Anthony. That is really, really important to me. And you're right, for me, I have the ability to afford a a smartphone and there I can use um, a continuous glucose monitor totally independently. But if I can't afford some kind of a smart device, I'm I'm out of luck and that's just not fair. And I don't know where we're gonna go with that, but we, we have to make sure we don't leave those folks behind.
0: No, that's the perfect answer. So I'm going to flip the script a little bit. Clark, I hope you are ready. Um, I'm going to ask Clark to be the ACB representative and Tom, I'm going to ask you to push back a little bit, ask, ask a couple of questions, you know, that an LA would ask, you know, who is trying to move this discussion along, who just really does not, you know, have, have the mojo to take this, this imperative back to their, to their um, representative or Senator. So, Clark, you're the advocator this time, and whenever you guys are ready, take the scene. Well,
4: hello, Mr. Tobin. Thank you so much for uh, making time in your schedule to meet with the American Council of the Blind. How are you doing today?
9: I'm doing great, sir. Thank you for taking the time to listen to my concerns, and um, I hope we can uh, have a good time talking about this issue together.
4: Yeah, so are you familiar with uh, with HR 4853, the Medical Device Non-Visual Accessibility Act?
9: Yes, sir, I am very well aware of it. I happen to be a type 1 diabetic who lost his vision uh, from complications of the disease when I was a junior in college. So this issue is of utmost importance to me and my constituents because we have to uh, find a way to get these devices that can help us best control our diabetes uh, made fully accessible so that I don't have any further complications and thus uh, prevent putting more of a burden on our economic and healthcare system by preventing these complications. So the the issue, sir, goes well beyond just uh, diabetes. It goes into um, our whole healthcare system in this country. And as I think you know, and if you don't, I will tell you that uh, diabetes is epidemic levels in this country Uh, whether you're type one or type two type one is insulin dependent type two is typically managed by oral medication uh, on occasion with insulin, but um, we have to get our handle on helping these people manage the disease or the economic impact to our healthcare system is going to be devastating because complications with the disease, such as vision loss, heart disease, uh, amputations, all that stuff are really expensive.
4: Well, I, I hear you. Our healthcare system is a mess, and um, <laughs> you know, do do you agree with the uh, uh, the other party that the the federal government should just nationalize all of healthcare, and then everyone would have a, all the healthcare that they could need and more?
9: I personally do not believe in that federalizing the healthcare system, um, and I would have to say that, sir, it's not a political issue. I don't care which party you're from; it's not a political issue to me. It's it's a it's how do we you know, best take care of the people in our, in our society. And um, I, I have, I have the particular belief, sir, that um, if you give something away, people don't value or appreciate as much as if you um, make somebody, you know, pay for it. And I'm not saying, you know, pay exorbitant things, but I was taught as a very young kid that if you put your own money in the game, if you have your own skin in the game, you value something much more dearly. So while I'm not for a federally nationalized healthcare system, I would be for, for something where it's not just simply a government giveaway, but something where people uh, would have to have some kind of skin in the game in order to participate. So, uh, I hear you.
4: I hear you. And our our private companies, our healthcare companies, they've got a lot of skin in the game, and they're out there making the making these great products um, so that folks like you can uh, can manage your healthcare. So, what's uh, what's wrong with these these products that our great companies are bringing to market? Uh, right now?
9: Well this I mean I've been a type one diabetic since 1973 so you guys can do the math and find out how old I am but so when I first was diagnosed there weren't any devices you took a shot of insulin and you hope for the best and then really what frankly it wasn't until I was a sophomore in college that in-home blood glucose meters where you could check your blood sugars using a drop of blood really came onto the market so as the whole you know, management of diabetes space, you know, pharma standpoint has evolved. I mean, they have come up with all these great products. Um, So you've been a diabetic for
4: quite, uh, you've had diabetes for quite a while and you, and you're doing all right.
9: Well, I, I would still like to see, I would still like to drive a car. Um, But the point, sir, is that, you know, as I was trying to alliterate earlier is that, um, you know, Preventing complication from this disease is is the bottom line because it is, at some point, somewhere, somehow, it's going to impact our economic healthcare system. It just is. So um, I'm at a greater risk right now having experienced one complication, and I'm knocking on wood because I haven't experienced any other complications, which is kind of atypical, to be honest with you, sir. But but the point is that if people who have experienced a complication uh, from this insidious disease can get it under better control, and they can prevent further complications and for, and then delay or prevent further uh burdens to the healthcare system. It's as simple as that.
4: Well that's that's interesting. Thanks for sharing that and uh you know can you just have someone help you with this uh with this equipment?
9: Um I could, but I don't think that is is fair. I think that I should be able to independently manage, you know, my my condition on my own. Uh, because let's just say I want to test my blood sugar and my wife isn't around to do it. Well, guess what happens, sir? I don't check my blood sugar, so I have no idea that my blood sugar is going high or it's going low. So that having somebody help me do it just isn't the right answer because it wouldn't it wouldn't allow me to manage uh, my diabetes on my terms, on my timeline, on my schedule. Um, on demand, if you will. When I need to do it, I need to do it, and I can't wait around for somebody else. So that, that's not the right answer, sir, with all due respect.
4: Uh, I hear you. Thank you so much. And uh, so, so getting down to brass tacks here, what, what is it that you need from, from our office here today?
9: I need you to co sponsor HR 4853, the Medical Equipment Non Visual Accessibility Act. Um, this is a piece of legislation that addresses. Uh, these inaccessible durable medical equipment, among other devices like blood pressure monitors and oximeters, you know, not, not non-diabetic related equipment. Um, and, you know, I need you to encourage your peers in Congress and your other legislators to get behind this legislation, because we really have an opportunity now to truly make an impact um, on the lives of people who are trying to live with diabetes and live well with it and manage it including those of us that have experienced vision loss. So that's what I need for you to do.
4: All right. That's very helpful. And then Mm -hmm. I know my boss is going to ask me, so I'm going to ask you, is this a bipartisan bill? It is now. (laughs) (laughs) It
9: is now.
0: (laughs) All right. That was great. Um, (laughs) Thank you both. That, that was really, really good. Um, (laughs) Swatha, do you have any notes or anything you'd add to what was just role played for us?
3: I I don't think so. I think it's as good, good, good as it is. Uh, I think Tom made a lot of good points and click, click, um, made a lot of good questions.
0: So. Well, that, that last question was a hint that um, those of us that are listening to this either right now or in the podcast form a little bit later on, bipartisan, bipartisan, bipartisan. <laughs> <laughs> Tom, can you, can you stick around in case there are some questions on this imperative? We have one more to go through, and then we're going to open it up for questions.
9: Uh, sure, of course. Absolutely. And uh, first of all, thank you for having me back, by the way, Anthony. I really appreciate being back on your show. You do such a great job oh, here. So. Thank you.
0: <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. All right, Clark Swatha, who's taking imperative number four? All right, and right. I'm just looking to see
4: our participants here. I, I do see a Carl Richardson, and I, I saw Kim Charlson earlier. Kim is here, too. All right. (laughs) So our final imperative is one that's more than 10 years in the making. Uh, But ACB uh, worked very hard with the coalition. um, Was it the Coalition of Organizations for Accessible Technology or COAT? Um, And that led to the passing of the 21st Century Communications and Video Accessibility Act of 2010. Um, Among other things, the CVAA uh, placed into law the requirement for audio description from our broadcasters as well as the top five uh, cable network programmers. Um, well, that's it, why
0: they're here.
4: <laughs> yeah. Uh, in addition to making uh requiring accessibility for advanced communication services. So two-way real-time and near real-time text and audio communications. Uh, requirements for accessibility for wireless web browsers. Um, so on smart devices having access to accessible uh, web browsers, video user interface requirements for TVs, set-top boxes, um, anywhere that you are viewing the video programming that's required to have audio description. However, these, these requirements, uh, they were drafted with the latest and greatest technology that 2010 had to offer. Um, and as we all know, uh, much like time, technology marches on. So although the the, C, the CVAA was very forward-looking in some aspects, like the accessible user interface requirements for uh, video user interfaces and digital apparatuses and the requirements for advanced communication services covering all forms of text and audio communications, there's not a rulemaking that's been completed for, as the CVAA defines it, interoperable video communication services. Um, there's also not requirements for audio description on streaming platforms or accessibility for streaming video platforms. Um, and at this point, I'll, I'll turn it to Kim and then Carl to see if there's anything else you'd like to comment about Uh, the limitations that we're running into of the the current law and regulations.
10: Thanks. Thanks, Clark. And thank you, Anthony, for the invitation. So I know that um, anyone who is interested in a user of audio description on broadcast television, and I'm going to stick with broadcast television for a reason, and uh, the cable providers that are required to provide access to their content. And that's kind of another issue. Um, Enjoy it, want more of it. And right there is one of the key um, premises of the legislation. There's a lot in the 14 page draft legislation that I've looked at a couple times. And unlike Clark, who has a photographic memory for all these lines of legislation, it's a lot to absorb, but one of the major principles in the legislation relates to right now, we are at the ceiling for the number of hours of of audio description on broadcast television and the cable providers required to provide audio description. And that's 87 and a half hours per quarter. So when you break that down, That's a quarter, so you break that down, and maybe that adds up to three or four hours a week from all these providers. So that isn't really a lot of access, but we can't get any more because that's the ceiling that was built into the CBAA in 2010. So one of the things that we want to see is more access, broader access to the content that's available on broadcast television and the cable networks and stations that are out there. The other thing that it also addresses relates to uh, other kinds of online access for um, television content, i.e. streaming or other sorts of services. Right now, those are not mandated in the CVAA. We have been extremely lucky and successful in advocating and using charm using our velvet hammer using um, litigation in some cases to get access for streaming services and they have really stepped up to the plate and are adding more and more content um, because of our work and the fact that we have advocated so strongly on on this issue so we would really like to see more more um Substance in the legislation to make sure that streaming services um also qualify for the requirements of the c v a a amendments that are going to be introduced very soon,
1: Carl, you oh. have things to add? yeah, so other things we want to look at is right now, audio description is only required to be passed in the top seventy uh mark or eighty market as of January. There are over 250. We would like to see it be passed through to all markets. This also has to do with emergency notifications That become very vital during COVID to know what's going on. So, uh-huh. is, is that accessible to everybody? It also has to do with the Deafblind distribu- uh, Equipment Program to provide communication equipment for the for the Deafblind community. Without it, they would not be able to communicate with others. And it also has to do with communication for the deaf and hard of hearing in terms of relay services. Um, In terms of, I want to add to Kim's thing about audio description in terms of different platforms. I think that cable is changing the way people get it in that they have a set-top box. Uh, Soon they will all be offering apps for instance, DirecTV now has a streaming app where you can get their services through an app rather than a satellite dish. And I think they're all going to be doing that soon. As of now, those are not required to pass through the audio description of the four broadcast networks and the top cable network. I would also like to see in there once a top five cable network, which could potentially change every three years, once they're required to do it, their grandfather clawed in so that there's no backsliding. So they have to keep oh. doing it, uh, the audio description, because the, the, the ratings do change, and therefore their commitment can change. You, um, and just overall accessibility, the technology I think that we haven't even considered now that moving forward, so make this future proof by putting in their language to cover all future technology. Also, the audio description file should always follow the title, just like they do That's in the deaf goes. and hard of hearing yeah. community. You you, are, you know the deaf and hard of community in the first TVAA did have the foresight to say that if it's ever been on broadcast, the file should follow it if it goes online. We don't have that same language. Uh, well, and in the amendment we do, but not in the current CBA
0: example,
1: yeah. so there's a lot of there's a lot of things and and the other thing I would suggest when we meet with our legislators and their their staff is to remind them that this passed by unanimous consent back in 2000 yeah there was no controversy of this this was unanimously voted on so that's and in today's environment that's an amazing thing and to remind them of that might be a good thing and 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 just And COVID, the one thing COVID has shown is we're all relying on communication, entertainment, emergency notifications, uh, devices to be able to communicate, to get work done, to stay gainfully employed, to be entertain when we're sitting home watching a movie. I mean, this stuff has actually become more important. Not that it wasn't important, but it's become more part of our lives now. And many of us are working remotely and staying home remotely.
0: Well, Clark, Kim, Carl, how do you answer the question that is most likely to come? Isn't this the same as closed captioning? Aren't they bound rules?
10: And sometimes I've, I've spoken with
0: legislators before
10: and they say, is this closed captioning for the blind? And I'll say, well, it's called audio description, but what it is and is, you know, and then I'll explain it. But a lot of people refer to it as that. And I don't, you know, I don't say, oh, no, no, that's wrong. I say a lot of people do call it that, but it, it's it's words using words that are carefully selected and interspersed in the dialogue of the audio, as we all know, um, not to interfere with the content of the original program, but to help clarify for someone who can't see the screen. So think about your TV's working fine, but your picture went out and you're hearing everything on the screen, but there's things you don't understand and something's happening. It's getting really exciting and someone's chasing someone. and all these things well audio description tells us what's going on you know and, and i give that kind of an explanation to help them understand because there are a lot of references that call it captioning for the blind so so rather than saying no that's wrong i turn it around and say well some people do call it that it's audio description this is what it does
0: that's great so i'm going to ask a question i asked about one of the earlier imperatives with technology consistently and constantly changing um is it even feasible to put in you know will they be able to keep up with with what you're asking for
1: Oh, Uh, i would say yes because they constantly change technology for other viewers, not. they're constantly upgrading the video quality, constantly upgrading the sound quality, constantly upgrading the viewing experience, that technology uses, the device we use. So why can't they do the same thing with, with accessibility?
4: All right. And Clark
0: swamp Oh God.
4: Oh, Kim, wanted did you go? Oh no, I'm good. You you speak. So I mean, Carl did a great job of, uh, of answering that question. I will say the one thing that the first CVAA did very well, it was not overly prescriptive. It did not tell broadcasters or cable companies um, or communications providers how they had to do something. They just told them it had to be done. You know, you have mm. to have an accessible user interface. How you choose to do it is up to you. You know, you must have audio description. Uh, as Kim said, 87 and a half hours per quarter, less than one hour per day, where, what program you decide to audio describe, that's up to you. Uh, now, we're going to to have more parity with the deaf and hard of hearing community um, it's, it's not enough anymore to have less than an hour a day of audio description. If there's video content, wherever it is, viewers expect it to be audio described. It should be closed my- captioned, yeah. and it should be audio
0: described. Go ahead, Carl.
1: We want the right to watch bad TV like everybody else.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. One more question before we go into the role play um, segment of this imperative. What about live events, news and sports and things like what we're gonna all experience in a couple of hours that big old Super Bowl? Um, I'm for it. I am,
10: I am too I am too but but I think the legislation draft right now says that they're exempt from live or near live um, events. Now we've seen over the last couple of years, that um, broadcast television has really stepped up to the plate. we've we're, We've got the Olympics right, right now being audio described on NBC. They're doing a fabulous job with the coverage we're getting in prime time. And um, we had the Macy's Thanksgiving Day parade, and I think a Fourth of July fireworks celebration, the inauguration in um, in two thousand and twenty one. And those are just some examples of networks being innovative and stepping out to just not sit there and say, well, we're not required to do it for live events because our community wants a live event and they want to watch it just as much as everybody else does.
1: Well, And I think with the advent of technology, one of the other things we got to make sure we do in the new amendment is to make sure that we don't compete, say, with the Spanish-speaking community. Because the Super Bowl, for instance, when you turn that on and turn that on the SAP channel today, it'll be in Spanish. So we want to make sure moving forward that new technology has multiple streams yeah. so that the Spanish can also have their live event, so that we have our live event, And with these Internet solutions, I don't see why you can't have five, six different live streams to choose from within the same program so that's the other way to make it future-proof and make it easier for them right now it's a great NBC,
0: point
1: NBC, mm-hmm. even if they wanted to describe the super bowl the spanish-speaking community has been listening to the super bowl live for several years Do you take that away from them no not necessarily right so Moving forward, we want to make sure that ASTC 3.0 has multiple language tracks and cable boxes and internet solutions. And so I am all for live events too, but we also have to make sure that technology will support it.
0: Hey, Clark Swatha, any other talking points that um, we should be thinking about that you want to highlight? Uh,
4: I'll just also add, I mentioned the Uh, Advanced Communication Services currently covering text and audio communications. Uh, The FCC has an unfinished, well, they haven't even started. uh, They have an (laughs) undefined term of interoperable video communication service. Uh, No one really knows what that is. And part of the problem is that word interoperable. Um, So the the draft bill also redefines that to just video communication services. And by giving the FCC the authority to set accessibility requirements for video communications services, uh, this is what will really help us move the ball forward on uh, the accessibility of telehealth or conferencing mm-hmm. platforms, distance learning platforms. You know, we need the websites to be accessible and the apps to be accessible as well. But as Chris Bell was saying, we want we need the content on those websites. Uh, we need the video players and portals on those websites to have yeah, yeah. accessibility built in as well.
0: All right. So let's move into the role play phase and Kim, being our immediate past president, I think would be a great choice to be an L.A. And Carl, why don't you introduce this imperative? And um, Kim, give him a little pushback. Ask him some hard uh, questions.
1: I Kim never gives me pushback. I'll have, I'll have <laughs> uh, Kim like and I never needed. give each other pushback. Are you kidding?
10: Um, so so Mr., Mr. Richardson, very glad to see you today, but um, my time is limited, so...
1: You know, what can we do for you today? So, yes. Hi, my name is Carl Richardson. I'm with the Bay State Council of the Blind and the American Council of the Blind. We're here today to um, discuss the legislative imperatives that are important to the blind and disability community. I'm here to discuss uh, amending the 21st Century Video Accessibility Act, which was unanimously passed by unanimous consent by 2010. And it has to do with... Advanced communication services, uh, the accessibility of television, the accessibility of web browsing, uh, cell phones, and that sort of thing. It it improved the quality of audio description so that I, as a blind person, can watch uh, television, Um, access to display devices so that I can independently use them, such as TV and DVD players. And uh, access to my cell phone so that I can uh, take advantage of all the services that are out there. And also very important to me as a deafblind person, the deafblind equipment distribution equipment program, which uh, gives out tech communication devices so that deafblind individuals may communicate with friends, families, loved ones, employers, society at large.
10: So, so that's a lot of stuff. Um, So how you talk about accessibility to television,
1: isn't television, you just turn it on? I mean,
10: what kind of accessibility do you need for, for television?
1: So there's two things, as you know, most of the TVs have menus and screens now, and I have to know Uh how to navigate through the screen. So There's a screen reader built in so that the blind can navigate from channel to channel, uh, navigate between the different things that are on the TV set, like changing your display setting or access and other... Your TV
8: talks to you?
1: It can talk to you. That's what this legislation... Does
8: everybody's TV talk to
1: them? As of 2016, all devices are supposed to have um, some sort of accessibility features built in for the blind and visually impaired. Yes. And I go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I said that's
8: amazing. That's very, very
1: interesting. I just don't know that. I also access much of my television programming through the use of audio description, Mm -hmm. which is a form of um, it's basically the description of key visual elements, time, place, costumes, settings, actions that are taking place on the screen being read by a narrator during gaps in dialogue. Sort of the help in the storytelling for those who are blind and visually impaired. So,
10: and, so that doesn't sound like captioning. Captioning's for deaf people, right?
1: No, captioning is a verbatim transcript of of what is being said, as well as okay. talking about background noises and things so that they can follow. This is is uh, very different. Oh, this is, I I don't hear that on my TV. Well, How do have, blind people get that? Well, the the feature with the, and the four broadcast networks and the five top cable networks are currently required to do eighty seven and a half hours per quarter, which is about seven hours a week of audio description. And you get that by turning on what is called the SAP feature, secondary audio program feature within your television set. And you turn that on, and once you turn that on, it activates that feature. Oh, so okay.
10: So everybody doesn't hear it.
1: But no, you said seven hours
10: a week. That's like an uh, an hour a day. That's not yes, very much accessible television for people who are blind. That's so right. That that makes sense that you'd want to have a, an amendment to this law. I wonder why they didn't do it right the first time.
1: Well, it uh, was a new technology for many, and and it it would it took some. Um, we were going from zero to seven hours a week, and, and, and but now what this has shown over the last 10 years is there's been an increased demand and an increased appetite. And just the fact mm-hmm. that many other streaming services are starting to do this on their own shows that there's a, there's a need for it everywhere. So what about those cable companies?
10: You mentioned five of them. There's a lot more than five cable companies. That's how, right. How does that impact them?
1: Well, what, we'd like to expand the number of channels that are required to play audio description because, you know, most people have hundreds of cable channels to watch where, you know, I, I basically will not watch something unless it has audio description. So we'd like to. And the other thing is the um, we're only required to do the top, top cable rated network every three years. So a channel can fall out of it. And we'd like to make sure that once they're required to do it, they're Permanently required to provide that audio description. It's not a financial hardship, and it can be done. It's been done for years now, and um, it 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 should be part of just like captioning. Mm-hmm. Um, started in 1973, and it took them almost 30 years before they had 100% captioning. Uh, we have now been around for j- j- just over uh, 20 years, and we we want to now increase toward. Hundred percent out of your description. Mm-hmm.
10: That's certainly understandable. Is is industry part of this equation? We get a lot of people in the office about it from industry, you know. So we have to think about that.
1: Yeah, I mean, some it, it, some industry is 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 all for it and does a lot of good work. Um, and 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 some see it as and amount some theater than that on, but I would look toward the streaming services and and some of the, station uh, some of the network that have embraced audio description because they know that it, it expands the audience.
10: Have the streaming services done it voluntarily? It doesn't seem to be part of the the law as I as I am familiar with it. At this
1: well, the on demand streaming services have done it voluntarily. Yes, mm-hmm. such as Netflix and Prime Video. But the streaming services, we also want to make sure that the channels are passed through to the live streaming services because many people are starting to get uh, get rid of their cable top boxes and you stream an alternative such as Sling TV, YouTube TV Live, and they're not required to pass e- even pass through the audio description that's already created. Oh, yeah,
10: okay. a lot of people use those cord cuttings things i i I get that that's important well mr richardson i want to thank you for coming to meet with me today and um i'd like to be able to follow up with you and the american council of the Blind. so um thank you for sending me your business card and
1: we will um keep in touch thank you have a great day thank you
0: i don't have a single critique of that clark how about you guys
1: i I want to hear from thwatha because she's been quiet yeah, Swatha, <laughs> what
0: what did you think of that?
3: I really thought it's good, a good example. Um, yeah, i think i the effect of why it's necessary and why it's like, personal to you. So I just like add it in, but it's good. Otherwise, I think
0: <laughs> I have to say it was the perfect mix of giving the facts as you know, and we we're not robots, so we we can't recall all the facts you know at a moment's notice in every single instance but it was it was a great mix of the facts as they're slated and personal anecdotes that really drove it home thanks for for pushing Carla a little bit Kim I'm (laughs) sure that that was a big stretch for you (laughs) 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 so before we go to (laughs) before we go to questions and comments um Clark or Swatha or both um, we've done a couple of role plays on, on all of the imperatives. Is there anything else you want to touch on? Do we want to pull back and, and re-role play anything? Um, are you satisfied with, with where we've gone with the imperatives up to this point? What
4: do you think,
3: Swatha? I think we're good. I was like, mention, like the, if there's a bold number mentioned that, I should mention like a lot of facts around the the bills and around the issues, so yeah, like what Carl and cam and um Tom and Clark and others mentioned this like hit home hit hit home that too, so
0: Swatha a- so, real quick, are you excited about your first you know full on legislative week?
4: <laughs> I am. <excited>. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I, I know. Excited,
7: terrified. She'll be terrified it is She'll
4: be To mention the bill numbers is a, is a great point. So, for the legislation that has bill numbers, that's very helpful for the offices. Uh, for the, the website accessibility in the CVAA amendments bill. Those, we don't have bill numbers. Bills aren't introduced yet. So the ask there is really just for them to support uh, legislation once it's introduced. And always just be, be yourselves. Share your personal stories. It could be the first time for many of these staffers that they are speaking with constituents with disabilities or people who are blind. Um, so just sharing your personal experience and why these issues are personally important to you, your friends, your family, your, your ACB community uh, will really help drive home the,
0: the need to those staffers or to your elected members. Yep. So if I can take a moment, um, I want to refer back to Tuesday Topics, Paul Edwards, um, he covered communications. Um, I was there. Debbie Grubb was there. Debbie Grubb um, and I have put this uh, with Clark and Swatha, of course. We put this together to, to really flesh out the best ways that we've, you know, that we've encountered to make this a successful leadership week. So Tuesday topics covered communications and the awesome Thomas Reed and Tony Stevens uh, gave some really good storytelling tips and, and bullet point concise ways of communicating, as well as some role plays there. Um, Friday night, Terry Pacheco on visibility is covered how do we actually get these appointments? Virtually, um, you know, it is a lot easier to make appointments. But on the other scale, it's a little bit harder because we don't know where the team is, is re- you know, is really housed right now. Are, there, are they more in their home office? Are they in D.C., et cetera? So please listen to Visibilities. And all three of these programs will be condensed into a two-hour podcast that you will be able to access by the end of the week. And you'll get all of the pertinent information from all three shows. So Terry, Paul, love you, love you, love you. Thank you so much for participating. We're going to take one question before we go off air, but we'll stay around for about a half hour or so and try to get through all the hands that we have. Byron, give me that first hand.
9: All right. So here is our first hand. Uh, We currently have...
0: Byron, 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 did you fall asleep? (laughs)
9: Nope, I'm sitting here muted, talking to nobody. (laughs) Sorry about that. (laughs) Oh boy. Okay. uh, So we, Kim and Carl put you to sleep.
0: They were so (laughs) good.
9: (laughs) Yep. So uh, we've got uh, iPhone with their hand raised. So I'm going to ask you to unmute. Go ahead and ask your question. Hello, iPhone. Okay. uh, We'll go to Jane then next. Jane, Love go ahead and
4: back,
8: Jane <laughs> Dude, I'm unmuted, I'm unmuted. <laughs> Can you guys hear so, me?
0: Yep, we should. Oh, yeah. iPhone is Margie. Hey, Margie. Yeah,
8: hey. Well, um, I, have to- <clears throat> I have a couple of But they asked for me. I have a couple of comments. And um, then I have a comment. So I want to make sure, Swatha and Clark, that in the... Um, Gym Accessibility Access, we are advocating for the equipment to be made accessible, not a third-party vendor piece of the equipment. Is that correct? Not, not something we're going to have to buy.
4: That is correct. We are advocating for accessibility to be built in, not Good. something that we need to pay for after the fact.
8: Good. Next question. Um, have we done, and I know Tom mentioned this briefly, but I'm gonna admit I was vacuuming at the time. <laughs> um, have we done any work with Medicare around this? Because Medicare pays for much of this equipment, as we know, especially with our aging and disabled population. And um, this is an accessible medical equipment. And so that's my question. I don't need to go on and on.
4: And this is Clark, we have... Um... The Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, or CMS, they are, their role in this is to reimburse insurance companies for equipment that is purchased and used. The (laughs) folks at CMS say they do not have the authority to only reimburse accessible equipment because
0: that is not part of statute all right margie okay, before thing, you ask it sorry. wait hold on before you ask yeah. another question we unfortunately no, we're a live show on acb media so i have got to go off air i will be back next sunday with a celebration of black history month please check yeah. out black history trivia all the different all the different celebrations that are going on this month please check them out BPI and MCAC are sponsoring Black History Trivia and the George Floyd documentary Saturday. And I'll be back next Sunday. I want to thank Clark, Swampa, Tom, Leslie, Connie, Chris, Kim, Carl, and everybody else who is here. We'll continue taking questions. Byron, take us on out. You've been listening to Sunday Edition with Anthony on ACB Radio Mainstream. For more information, questions, comments, feedback, suggestions, etc., please email CelebrationAC. That's the word Celebration with the letters AC at AOL.com. Look forward to hearing from you, and let's brunch again next Sunday.